0: Shalom, this is Rabbi Thomas Davis Hart, bringing you commentary on Parashah number 29, this is Ahre Mot, after the death. This is found in Vaikra, Leviticus 16.1 through 18.30. So this week we read of the atonement quote unquote type that Yeshua later fulfilled as the sacrificial lamb. Looking back to the time before he was manifested on earth. Aharon is the high priest, who was a parallel to Yahweh's role, chose two male goats, one for a sin offering, and the other was to be presented alive to Adonai, to be used for quote, making atonement over it by sending it away into the desert, or Azazel, unquote. That's in Leviticus 16, 9 through 10. The goats are placed before Adonai at the entrance to the Tent of Meeting. Aharon cast lots for the two goats. One lot for Adonai, and the other for Azazel, which is translated as several different characters. In the Book of Enoch, Azazel is portrayed as one of the chief Grigori, or fallen angels, who cohabitated with women. In the extra-canonical book of Apocalypse of Abraham, Azazel is associated with the serpent and hell. He's identified as the spirit of Esau, embodying heathenism in the Zohar. In all practicality, Azazel represents the scapegoat. Yeshua was both. He was the scapegoat blamed for the sins of man and the perfect Ola offering totally consecrated to God. He became sin for us, Azazel, to atone for our uncleanliness and transgressions we committed before coming to the knowledge of Yeshua. Just as Aharon made atonement in the holy place with the blood of the goat for the sin offering, For the sins of the people of Israel, and because of their transgressions. Yeshua made atonement before the Father with his blood because of our sins and transgressions. Like the scapegoat, Yeshua was sent outside the camp, Jerusalem, as an outcast to be crucified, which was not a Jewish form of capital punishment on Golgotha, which means skull in Aramaic. This place was so named because the shape of the hill is like a skull. Golgotha is located outside of Jerusalem's northern wall, which is significant in that Lucifer, Hasatan, Satan, planned to make his kingdom in the north, which is found in Isaiah 1412 through 17 and the Holy of Holies was located on the northwest side of the tabernacle. But we must ask ourselves, if Yeshua was crucified on a hill, how did the people read the inscription on the label that was above his head? The Gospel of John gives us a reason to believe that Yeshua was crucified by the road at the base of the hill rather than on top of it. This would certainly be more of an insult to be at ground level. John said that, quote, This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Yeshua was crucified was nigh to, that means near, the city. In addition, Matthew 27 through 39 and Mark 15, 29, and 30, document that, quote, they, that passed by, unquote, reviled or derided, hurled abuse, blasphemed, depending on the translation. They did this to him. The fact that people were passing by indicates that the location of his crucifixion was near a frequently traveled road rather than on a remote hilltop. Next, Aharon presented the live goat. He laid both of his hands on its head, and confessed over it all the transgressions and crimes and sins of the people of Israel, placed them on the head of the goat, and sent the goat away into the desert with a man appointed for that purpose. The goat bore all the transgressions away to some isolated place, and the goat was let go in the desert, never to be seen again. Likewise, Yeshua took all of our sins and transgressions up to the point of our reconciliation unto him, and place them as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered. Psalm 103.12 reads, quote, He has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Unquote. <clears throat> keep in mind that this is past sins. We are to walk the line once we cross the sea as did the Israelites, and follow God's Torah, learn His ways, and keep them out of our love for Him moving on to leviticus sixteen twenty seven we read that quote the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place is to be carried outside the camp there they are to burn up completely their hides meat and dung unquote. yeshua gave his all as he was taken outside the city as a lamb unto the slaughter that's in isaiah fifty three seven Rabbinic Jews hold a different view, as we would expect, of those who do not yet know Messiah Yeshua and the connection between the Tanakh and the Breit Kadeshah. The two male goats are often interpreted as representing the sets of twins in Genesis, Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Yaakov or Jacob and Esau. However, to subscribe to this view negates the depth of the scripture, which is replete with parallels to, Yah- to Yeshua HaMashiach And his role in the history of Israel and man. The scapegoat sent into the desert cannot represent the quote unquote evil twin brother in any of these pairs, as man cannot take away the sin of the world. Neither could man, the good twin brother, have been sufficient as a perfect Ola offering required by God for the expiation of sin. The concept of atonement expands into the discussion on the permanent regulation of Yom Kippur. In fact, the command that this time of year be observed as a holy convocation is mentioned three times from verses 29 through 34. Leviticus 16:29 provides the purpose and the instruction regarding this time of year. Quote, it is to be a permanent regulation for you that on the 10th day of the 7th month you are to deny yourselves and not do any kind of work. Both the citizen and the foreigner living with you For on this day atonement will be made for you to purify you. You will be clean before I deny from all your sins. It is a Shabbat of complete rest for you, and you are to deny yourselves. This is a permanent regulation. We see that God declares this time of year and its observance a permanent regulation three times. He also directs us to deny ourselves twice. What does this mean? The rabbis provide a plethora of rabbinic prohibitions such as abstaining from intimacy, bathing, anointing ourselves with perfume or oil, wearing of leather shoes, because they're comfortable and they cost the life of the animal from which they were made, and besides at times they're considered ostentatious. These directives do not contradict Torah, so they're neither mandated nor prohibited at our synagogue at Beth Elohim. The most agreed upon directive is fasting which we as Messianic Jews follow. When we deny ourselves physical sustenance, we're better able to focus on the spiritual sustenance provided by God. Whereas Yeshua said, quote, Man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Unquote. That's in Matthew 4.4 and Luke four four. Of course, we do not do any kind of work on this day. Our focus is on atonement and forgiveness of sin that can only be imparted through Yeshua's sacrifice there seems to have been three purposes for the legislation god commanded for the observance of the day of atonement although god dwelt in the sanctuary the priests were not without sin every year they were reminded that they needed to be cleansed just as every other object in the sanctuary the nation israel also had to repent every year through the high priest who had to go into the holy of holies on behalf of the nation he had to identify with the nation on this very intimate level, and conduct a personal search of his heart as well. The third purpose was to call for individual repentance and to seek the face of God. The Day of Atonement emphasized in this Barashah should inform us of its importance and necessity for salvation. The fact that the priests were required to go through a ritual cleansing and had to be found to be ceremonially worthy reminded them and us that they, and we, need to seek forgiveness for our own sins before acting on behalf of anyone else. Chapter 17 focuses on the issue of life in the blood and the prohibition of eating blood. This is the source of the teaching, and we are not to eat meat with any trace of blood in it. Chapter 17, 10 through 12 states, When someone from the community of Israel or one of the foreigners living with you eats any kind of blood, I will set myself against that person who eats blood, and cut him off from his people for the life of the creature is in the blood and i have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for yourselves for it is the blood that makes atonement because of the life this command is repeated in verse thirteen and we are not to make light of the atoning blood of yeshua's sacrifice blood represents life everlasting in the spiritual sense we cannot obtain this life by consuming blood eating blood contradicts matthew four four and luke four in that man does not live by bread that's physical sustenance alone it is the word of god his torah and yeshua that sustains us finally we find the biblical source for teaching against intimacy when a woman is having her menses in eighteen nineteen and that homosexuality is an abomination that has not changed The Padashah ends with God admonishing the people to obey his laws and rulings. And this repeats Leviticus 17.4. You are to obey my rulings and laws and live accordingly. I am Adonai your God. You are to observe my laws and rulings. If a person does them, he will have life through them. I am Adonai. No matter how you cut it, God's laws, his commands, are still as valid today as they were when they were written. Arhaftaraz out of Ezekiel 22, 1 through 16. In this passage, God essentially tells the people that it's time to, quote, pay the piper, unquote. Everything God commanded the people not to do, they did, much as what's happening today. They profane the Shabbat, as they do today. The Catholic Church changed it from its designated time of Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown to Sunday, claiming authority to do so, no less. Dishonored parents, wronged orphans and widows, treated the holy things with contempt, gossiped to the point of inciting bloodshed, committed incest, charged interest on loans, had sex with immediate members of their families, took their women during their menses, and forgot God completely before the nations, who looked on Israel with scorn and laughter. And this is the point where God decided to scatter Israel among the nations, the Goyim and disperse them throughout the countries. Through this process of isolation, God would remove their defilement and cause them to know the full ridicule of the nations. This experience, secular history, bears the truth of God's words. Israel has been persecuted more than any other people and continues to be ridiculed and hated today. And anti-Semitism is definitely on the rise. God reminds us in Matthew 23, 37 through 39, quote, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets. You stone those who are sent to you. How often I wanted to gather your children, just as a hen gathers her chicken under her wings. But you refused. Look, God is abandoning your house to you, leaving it desolate. For I tell you, from now on, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. Unquote. We will not know the true peace of God and see Yeshua until we say, Baruch haba Adonai. And I pray that it's soon. I pray that it's in our lifetime. And I submit this is a very plausible possibility with the exponential degradation in our country and the world in general. Just as the Tower of Babel, just as those people said, we will climb to the heavens. So now... Secular society claims that there is no God nor authority, and man can make his own decisions and choose his own route and be as correct as anyone else. But the Bible doesn't teach that. It teaches that the that the uh, wisdom of man leads to death. As terrible as things are, and as they continue to compete with the crimes of Israel, when she strayed so far from God, we can and must stay strong and and draw on the peace that only Yahweh Yeshua can provide. There can be no peace without Him. You cannot find peace without knowing and loving Yahweh Yeshua. We've been kept alive for this time for a reason. His name is to be made known among the nations. All those who are true believers are kept just for this time. We are not to subjugate ourselves to the concept of secular society today That's advocating what they call tolerance and inclusion that are nothing but antinomianism. This is done in the way he instructed so long ago, making his name known. How blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and tell you all kinds of vicious lies about you because you follow me. Rejoice. Be glad because your reward is in heaven. It's great. They persecuted the prophets before you in the same way you are the salt for the land but is salt sometimes tasteless how can it be made salty again it's no longer good for anything except being thrown out for people to trample on you are the light for the world a town built on a hill cannot be hidden likewise when people light a lamp they don't cover it with a bowl and put it on a lampstand so that it shines for everyone in the house in the same way let your light so shine before people so that they may see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven, not you. This is right out of Matthew 5:11 through 16. So Christians who believe all of the laws and commands of God were done away with when Yeshua was crucified, better read their Bible again. Great Kaddish is out of Romans 3:19 through 28, and this passage addresses the fact that legalistic observance of God's commands avail us nothing. However, we do not live under the law. Let get let us get our premise straight from the start. Paul is talking about rabbinical law, rabbinic law, the oral Torah. He clarifies it as he speaks of legalism without the spirit of obedience and love, and he points out that the Torah shows us how sinful we are, lest anyone boast of his perceived righteousness in and of himself. God's Torah, his instructions, or sort of a ground zero that bring us all down to the level of sinners that we are, And will remain unless we trust in Yeshua's faithfulness continually and continually follow his Torah. It's also called the King's Highway. Romans verse 24, chapter 3, informs us that we are granted the status of being considered righteous before him through the act of redeeming us from our enslavement to sin that Yeshua accomplished. This means that he freed us from that death indictment We inherited through original sin. We were all destined to spend spiritual eternity in hell. And He saved us from that. He provided the way to be saved from that. Many are called, not all. Many are called, but few are chosen. And the gate is narrow, the gate is broad to destruction. And this doesn't mean that we're saved. Yeshua's sacrifice spiritually takes us through the sea of reeds and gives us a new beginning as we emerge into the desert that represents a clean slate. How can we say this with confidence? Let's look at Romans 3.25. Quote, God put Yeshua forward as the covering for sin through his faithfulness in respect to his bloody sacrificial death. This vindicated God's righteousness because in his forbearance he had passed over with neither punishment or remission, the sins people had committed in the past. It says nothing about future sins. And it vindicates his righteousness in the present age by showing that he is righteous himself and is also the one who makes people righteous on the ground of Yeshua's faithfulness. So what room is left for boasting? None at all. What kind of Torah excludes it? One that has to do with legal observance of rules? No. Rather, a Torah that has to do with trusting. Therefore, we hold the view that a person comes to be considered righteous by God on the ground of trusting which has nothing to do with legalistic observance of Torah commands. Christian clergy misinterpret and teach against this all the time. It's not correct. We need to know the Hebrew. We need to know the context and what these words actually mean. Trusting is not just a profession of faith. Anybody can say, I believe in Jesus. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Do you? Trusting means to emulate, to worship, to follow. It's an action verb. Hebrew is an action language, and we need to get that straight as we study the Bible, or we'll never get it right. Again, we see that the Torah of God has not been abrogated. Paul is talking about Jews who held the position That legalistic observance of rabbinical law made one righteous in the sight of God. That is, keeping the commands without the heart. Remember that the majority of Jews were not convinced about Yeshua being the Messiah, let alone being resurrected. The word trust is not some abstract cognitive concept. It's that action verb, as I said. We have to do something. Therefore, what we have in this passage is a lesson that God's Torah is not dead. If we're to be considered righteous, we must actively commit ourselves, trust in the faithfulness of Yeshua's sacrifice and his faithfulness and ability to forgive us of our sins. If you have any doubt about the meaning of trust, God provides plenty of examples in Hebrews chapter 11. Read it. You will always see the word trust associated with obedient action. There is no way around this truth. If we want to have life and have it abundantly, we must return to our parasha in Leviticus 18:5. You are to observe my laws and rulings. If a person does them, he will have life through them. I am Adonai. Baruch HaBa Beshem Adonai. Shabbat Shalom.